Hello and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Raynard, and with me today is Ben Siegerscott, Head of Multi-Asset Funds. We're going to be looking at the ramifications of the banking turmoil and the longer-term impact for bond and equity markets. We're recording this on Wednesday the 5th of April 2023. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Welcome, Ben. Um, Now, March was a volatile month, with investors panicking about a potential banking crisis 2.0. Can we kick off by talking a little bit about your take on the turmoil in the banking sector and whether it seems systematic or idiosyncratic? Well, it's naturally been a pretty unsettled time in markets, but I think it's always important to look through the noise and to focus on the fundamentals. And really what we've seen over the last month or so, things have started to go a little bit wrong, but they have been isolated cases more at the fringe. And ultimately what we've seen in the two major banks that have been all over the news, those are really more about poor management decisions at those banks rather than real sort of systemic risks and issues. Take, for example, Silicon Valley Bank. Now, that got caught out by buying a lot of very interest rate sensitive securities when interest rates were very low. And they funded that uh, using large, very large deposits, mostly uninsured from pretty risky and flighty tech startups. So it's quite an isolated setup there. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast when interest rates were low, they're only going one way and that will cause a lot of pain for those interest rate sensitive securities. That's exactly what happened for that particular bank. And on the other side of the Atlantic, Credit Suisse, a very different banking model. But sometimes when you have these the, these uh, fears, other people tend to look at what else might get affected. And Credit Suisse, you know, it's been in trouble for, for quite a long time. It's suffered a long string of scandals. There have been spying allegations. People may remember that there was a failure of a large family office called Archegos. And Credit Suisse took a $5.5 billion loss on the back of that. There's been uh, accusations of cocaine, money laundering. So, you know, even before the latest crisis, it was already 80% down. And I think sometimes when you have uh, these relatively small events, you start looking for the next victim. But both of these have very isolated cases in terms of poor management decisions. So you don't see any major contagion, I say that tentatively, of course, but for the time being. Well, you know, the, the, all of investing is is never say never. But from what we can see at the moment, I don't see any major, uh, major concerns around contagion or systemic risk. Now, ultimately, banking is, is about solvency and liquidity. Solvency is, do you have enough assets overall to meet your liabilities? Whereas liquidity is, do you have enough cash right now to meet immediate demand? And collectively, major banks around the world are much more robust compared to where they were during the last uh, financial crisis in 2008. We have a much clearer idea of what's on their balance sheet and there's much tighter regulation. So most major banks 
are subject to very tight scrutiny, and so there's no real solvency, solvency issues there. That's different to some of the regional US banks that aren't subject to that same level of scrutiny. But the major banks in the US and major banks around the world, you know, we have clear visibility on their balance sheet. So at the moment, no real solvency issues there. Uh, and what we're actually seeing, governments acting very quickly on this liquidity point. So they provided reassurance to depositors, ensured there's liquidity for the banks that need it. And that's why it's been so important that governments have acted quickly. They've needed to stop this sort of sentiment feedback. You know, once panic starts on one, it can move very quickly to the others. And by providing that liquidity for banks that, um, you know, as far as we can tell, we have every reason to think they remain solvent, that really stems the contagion risk. So like I say, never say never, but the banks as we look at them remain pretty solvent. Authorities have acted quickly with liquidity to stem that contagion. So it looks largely under control at the moment. And there's been a lot of kind of debate in markets as to the longer term effects for interest rates and economic growth of the crisis. I mean, what's what's your view on that? Could it have an impact? Well, you know, I think it's almost the other way around. Rather than this event having an impact on, on rates and growth, it's more the fact that recent interest rate hikes have been designed to cool economic activity. And that cooling of activity has created these issues. So from that regard, you know, it, it's almost by design. It's a feature rather than a bug uh, of tighter policy. So when central banks hike hike interest rates, they're trying to cool activity. They're trying to rein in some of the excesses in the system, cool off some of that froth. And what that means, companies of all stripes, not just in banking, but those companies that have been a little bit more aggressive, that have been heavily reliant on fair wins and the cyclical growth, they will start to come under pressure. So that's what we're starting to see now. But crucially, those are outliers rather than the, than the core of the economy. Um, I mean, the, the bond market seemed to think that this would moderate future rate rises. Do you agree with that? I, I think to some extent, yes. But it's important to, to talk about the mechanism. Uh, and the impact is central banks probably don't have to hike rates quite as far as we're expecting a few weeks ago. But that's because interest rate hikes are intended to slow down areas such as borrowing by making it more expensive to borrow. And the recent events has had the, had the impact in the banking world. The banks are a little bit more wary about lending now. And so this tightening of led lending standards in the banks, in a sense, does some of the work that central banks would otherwise have to do through interest rates. So they can probably achieve the same effect now, but without hiking quite as far as they might have had to think about a few weeks ago. OK. And I mean, obviously, it didn't deter them in the recent um, round of meetings with, uh, you know, the Fed, ECB, Bank of England, all raising rates this month as expected. Um, was there anything new in the accompanying statements? Well, I, I don't think we've talked on this podcast for a while. We haven't talked about birds uh, as much as one needs to when, when one's thinking about central banks. Uh, and when we talk about interest rates, we talk, you know, financial services is all about animals. You've got bulls and bears. When we talk about interest rates, we talk about hawks and doves. Uh, and hawks tend to be very aggressive on rates. They want to hike rates to kill off economic activity quickly. Whereas doves are more relaxed, they let these things wash through. They're a bit more more relaxed about things. And the reason I mention that is, you know, at the moment, central banks are trying to control uh, a lot of the sentiment. And indeed, they did carry on with, with their hiking cycle. And that's for the credibility of, they said, they've already moved rates to try and bring inflation under control. 
But what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, particularly post this this sort of turmoil in the banking system, is, and this is the phrase, a dovish hike. So hiking naturally is quite a hawkish, aggressive activity. A dovish hike is when they hike, but there's lots of calming mood music around. And that's what we've seen as they've been hiking rates. They've also been talking down the potential for, for further aggressive aggressive hiking. And that's what we're seeing now. Um, the, the banks are laying the groundwork for, we might not have to do many more hikes from here. Um, but at the same time, they're still holding this line that rates will have to remi- remain ha- high for a period of time to bring inflation under control. So it's some of that longer term messaging that, that we're seeing in play now. Idea of soothing words from the central banks. Um, so th- the bond market repriced very quickly, particularly in the US. Um, and there seems to now be really quite a gap between the Federal Reserve expectations, or the dot plot, um, and market expectations. Do you have a sense of who is closer to reality? Is there an assumption that you're working to? Well, I mean, it certainly has been very volatile. And this is markets try- still trying to figure out where central banks settle between supporting markets and fighting inflation. And we're so used to their supporting market mode of the last decade. But that's when inflation has been very soft. And that's driving this this volatility. What I would say, um, it is interesting to note, prior to the banking events last month, actually, the market had capitulated and moved in line with the Fed's thinking. So we saw through February uh, and early March, markets repriced, say, actually, you know what, the Fed was right, rate, rates are going to be higher. Uh, and I think what we have seen more recently is the, is markets trying to factor in what's happening in, in the banking sector. And as it now stands, market expectations have fallen. They fell quite a, a lot initially after that recent turmoil. But those rate expectations have drifted a little bit higher. So they're, they're not quite as, uh, as low. Those expectations are, are the rates won't be quite as low as in, in the immediate aftermath. And it's worth remembering that the Fed's latest forecasts, when they made those forecasts, they hadn't had a chance to, to assess the impact of this banking turmoil. Now, we all accept it is going to have some, some impact, as we said, on, on things like, like lending standards. But since the Fed hasn't been able to fully assess uh, what's likely to happen, and those dot plots are a key messaging tool, they've been careful. Those dot, dots didn't actually move up as, as much as we thought they may have done prior to that. They haven't had a chance to factor in what, what's happened subsequently. And I think the Fed has, has been a lot cooler on its talk of, about the difference between market pricing and where its dot plots are. The next dot plot comes out not for another couple of months. They're, they're only periodic. Um, so everyone has to accept the dots we're now looking at are probably a little bit stale. And perhaps that the reality is closer between the two. I think at the short end, uh, rates are probably going to be a little higher for longer but maybe closer to where the market is now pricing. I do think it might be slightly further out that the markets are, are still a little bit too optimistic. Uh, you know, it, this, this, this parrots some of the, the, the chat we've talked about before. The markets now think that, that the Fed is going to have to start cutting rates pretty soon to bring inflation under control. The Fed is still maintaining this line that maybe the rates won't go much higher from here, but maybe they have to be held out for longer. So I think the market is probably closer to being right in terms of that rates aren't going to have to carry on going as higher in the short term. But maybe the market is still a bit too optimistic about how quickly the Fed and other central banks will will subsequently 
cut. So the answer is, I think everyone is a bit right and a bit wrong. Let's look at the impact on stock markets. I mean, my my sense is that they're actually quite directionless at the moment. Um, and they've been in quite a narrow trading range. Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts on what might bring them out of that trading range? Yeah, I mean, to, to my mind, markets are flip-flopping between... There, there are strong arguments in favour of, of equities rallying aggressively from here. There are arguments in, in favour of markets, equity markets falling further. And, you know, on, on that positive side, there are, there's liquidity in the system. Money supply is going up, driven to an extent by, by China. Central banks such as the Fed are pumping money in to deal with this, this crisis. We talked about liquidity earlier. And liquidity is good for markets. When you have a lot of money being injected, that can be good for asset prices. We also have China's reopening. China is is a major economy, and the reopening of that economy can can be a boon for, for global equity markets. But against that, we have to factor in this economic slowdown in developed markets and the fact that in, inflation remains pretty sticky. And there's already a degree of bad news in the price. Some sort of slowdown is, is being priced in. Um, and that's what the market is, is moving between these two arguments, and that's that trading range you, you talk about. I think the watch points really are our interest rates, inflation and economic activity. And it's not about whether these get higher or lower. It's about the coherence between the two. And at the moment, we have interest rates that are high. Economic activity appears to be cooling, but labour markets in particular remain pretty tight. And that's causing some concern. Now, if we were to see, say, inflation continuing to cool, if we were to see cooling in the job market, um, counterintuitively, that's probably quite a good environment for, for equity markets because that's validating the bad news that's in the price and saying, actually, interest rates probably don't have to go further. They've done their job. You can relax a little bit more. So that might help markets to break out on, on the upside. But against that, if we do see uh, continued strength in the labour market, if we do see, see inflation remain stickier than expected, then that could see equity markets break out on the downside as markets come around to this idea, the Fed's going to have and, and other central banks are going to have to do a little bit more. Interest rates will have to go a little bit further to bring this under control. And um, what does that mean for your equity positioning? Well, it means overall we're, we're still pretty neutral. As I said, the upside and downside factors are pretty finely balanced. Where we are positioned, we're favouring non-US exposure. Europe in particular is looking interesting and it has been at a, a long-standing discount to the rest of the world. You know, we sort of closed out that, that guidance in the, in the middle of, of the war, I think, as we highlighted at the time. What we don't want to do is, is try and second guess what's going to happen with the two most unstable elements of financial uh, forecasting, which is geopolitics and the weather. But now we've moved past those acute points. There are reasons to be positive um, on Europe in particular, non-US more broadly. But otherwise, we think it's about being diversified in terms of sectors and styles. Don't be afraid to hold areas such, such as oil and, and gas and consider more defensive areas. We do have this slowdown. Defensive areas can continue to deliver. So areas such as healthcare and utilities, those companies that, that pay out dividends could all, could all be pretty attractive um, on a relative basis. And I this is a. I recognise this is a difficult question to answer, but do you, do you think we're through the worst in terms of equity performance? Well, it depends what happens from here, of course. There, as I said, there are risks to the upside and downside. What I would say, global markets are already 
some 14% off their highs, which reflects a degree of bad news. Now, things could still get worse, particularly if the economic environment uh, gets gets tougher. And there's always scopes for some sort of, of, of shock. OK, and, and shocks, by definition, can't be forecast. That said, there are few signs of the economy lapsing into a really deep slump. And I think we need to to get our heads collectively around this idea that not all recessions are like global financial crises. Financial crises are really bad. They lead to, to serious long-term economic and financial consequences. Whereas you can have mild recessions where you have a bit of a contraction, gives the economy a chance to sort of cleanse itself of non-performing assets. And you can come out on the other side uh, in relatively good health. And everything we're seeing at the moment, there's plenty of scope for a fairly mild downturn. But on the back of that, we could have a pretty rapid recovery. So on that basis, the key is always, I think, to keep invested uh, and ride through the volatility. But I don't think, you know, that th- there's not a lot on the horizon that points to a serious, deep, dark downturn. The likelihood is uh, any further downturn could be quite mild. And at some point, we'll have to look at the, the positives on the other side. Okay, great. That seems like a almost positive note to, to end on. Um, thank you so much, Ben, for that comprehensive roundup. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. As always, all references and lines spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. And you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including our latest outlook. Daniel Kasali will be back with us in the studio for our next podcast episode. And we'd love to have you join us then if you can. Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so, and you can rate and review us in the App Store. Until next time.